your Bibles, open to Luke 2. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be rather quick this morning. Um, Luke, well, probably not, I say that, but uh, Luke chapter 2. Um, so as you guys are flipping, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one somewhere on the table around you. If you don't own one, please take that one with you, keep it. Um, that is our gift to you. We want you to see scriptures for yourself. Um, Luke 2. While you're, while you're flipping, let me just ask a simple question. Um, what is the longest that you've waited for something? What is the longest that you've waited for something that you currently possess? What? SEC Championship. So here's, here's my goal. And Kyle, was that you? Beat me to the punch. Uh, my uh, underlining goal is to mention the SEC Championship as much as possible this morning. If you don't know, Georgia won the SEC Championship last night, um, which was awesome. First time since 2005. Uh, I know that there are some Auburn fans in this room, uh, and I will be relentless. I know some are skipping today because of their shame, but it's okay. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and throw this. Because if that's up here, that's not going to end well. And I'm going to be playing with it the whole time. And some of you type errors, I'm going to drive crazy. So, yeah, what is the longest that you've waited for something? What is the longest that you've waited for something and you've achieved it? And, and through that process, what did it feel like? Uh, did, when you received what you were waiting for, did it meet all your expectations? Were you fully satisfied at that point when you were waiting? I think probably one of the longest, shortest but longest things I've ever waited for um, happened just a year ago. We were going to check on the progress of my parents' house. They were building a new house at the time, and my wife and I, and so there's this cool feature on the car that we never use anymore um, where you could keep it crunk, uh, cranked, running, keep it car running, lock the doors, and uh, so we often would keep the car running, we'd lock the doors, we'd walk into my parents' house because there's builders present, and you know, we just didn't want anything to happen to the kids, and at this moment, we had a one-month-old, um, so I thought I had done it uh, like I'd always done it before, got back to the car to leave, and the keys were in the car with the doors locked, but the car was running, uh, but we had a one-month-old, and I think we had all four of our kids in the car at the time. Uh, panic set in. Okay. I know some of you don't have kids. I'm like, well, the car's running. What's the big deal? Uh, I could get arrested. So we were running around like, do I break in the window? Like I've seen uh, a lot of guys on TV do it. Should I do it? I'll just wrap my hand up in my shirt and punch it that way. Like through this process, I look kind of cool. And even though I was the goober that locked the keys in the car, like what, what happened? So the best thing we decided was to call Dawson County Police Department. That process from the time we put into the call, I walked up to the end of the driveway, waited for them, felt like eternity. I had no idea what was happening inside the car. But there's also that anxiousness of, uh, am I going to get arrested for this? You know, like, uh, I mean, it was just not a good moment for me. Cop pulls up. I see him. So I'm waving him at him. I thought he would stop. Goes flying down the driveway, gets the kids out of the car. And so when the cop arrived, the policeman, he was awesome. He was incredible. Did it within two seconds. It was great. But when he arrived, I was excited about the arrival, but I was more excited about the result of his arrival which was getting my kids out of the car, rescuing my kids from the car, because I didn't know how much gas we had. I didn't know how long they could actively stay in this car. They were going to get hungry. They were going to uh, need a diaper change. I didn't know. So when I saw the policeman, I was thrilled out of my mind. But the end result was just as special, was that my kids were rescued. So as we go into this Advent season, what we're doing is we're celebrating that Christ has come 
but we're also looking forward to what's to come. So a lot of theologians would call this the already but not yet, that Christ has come, uh, but we're still here. There's still sin, there's still death, there's still brokenness, and there's gonna come a day where he rescues us from that too. But we're living in this kind of Saturday nothing idea where Christ died on Friday, he's raised on Sunday, and Saturday what happened to disciples? They just sat, they wondered. So just quick, raise your hand if you did celebrated Advent growing up. I just wanna see. Okay, that's what I figured. A bunch of you good Baptists didn't do this. Um, so typically, uh, Advent, the way it goes, it's four Sundays leading up to Christmas. Um, but we're going to do it a little different this year. Um, a couple of reasons. One, um, we are not going to be able to meet here Christmas Eve um, because the government's going to close down buildings on Christmas Eve. So we're going to partner with Christ Family Church um, and go to their Christmas Eve service at 6.30 that night on that Sunday. So there'll be no morning services. Um, so we couldn't preach the three weeks of Advent and not preach the fourth one. Um, the second reason being we've just studied and, and as, the, as the pastors of the church, we've studied where we are as a church and where we could grow in. And so we thought, man, there's, there's something happening through this Advent season that we could really um, harbor on and, and, and select and pull through the scriptures that I think the Lord wants to communicate to us, specifically as the branch church. So if you have, uh, if you've ever filled out a communication card, there is uh, an Advent guide that we sent out on Thursday or Friday, Kyle did. It's, a, it's the typical four-week hope, love, joy, peace that you can work through as your family, as a couple, uh, as your missional community, or even as an individual every Sunday to stop and do that together as a family uh, or, or as a whatever. Um, the text correlates with the Jesus Storybook Bible. If you do have kids, it comes with coloring sheets. Uh, if you do have kids or you just love to color, uh, I've been shocked how many college kids just like to color. Uh, so there are coloring sheets in there that will correlate with it. Uh, but here's my hope this morning. I just want to set the tee up uh, for Advent and for where we're going. Uh, because next week, Carlton, our missional community pastor, is going to be teaching. On the 17th, Matthew Thomas, who is an elder and leads worship, is going to be teaching. And so my goal here is just to set up the tee for what we're trying to accomplish in this Advent season. So uh, basically, what is Advent, since we hadn't really celebrated it as a uh, church growing up? Advent is this. It's about the coming of Jesus Christ. It begins with a time of waiting and longing and ends with celebrating the birth of our Savior, the Messiah, on Christmas. It begins with a time of waiting and longing and ends with celebrating. Now, if we're just honest, which we hope we always are, um, Christmas often, or Christmas time for us often is not a waiting and longing, but it's running and being stressful and, right, buying presents, going into debt, what are we going to do, how are we going to handle I mean, yesterday we were up before the sun to get down to Atlanta uh, for the Children's Health Care Parade. Our, our kids were on WSB's uh, Instagram story if you want to go see that. So we went down to Atlanta, had the parade, uh, rushed back, speeding all the way up 400 just so we could make it to Kroger to make gingerbread cookies with the kids uh, because that was worth a speeding ticket to my wife. So we got back and our kids made gingerbread cookies and that was all great. And then we rushed home to watch the SEC championship and Georgia win, which was great. Uh, but who would admit that Christmas time is a time where we actually sit and rest and ponder and wait? Does that describe any of the month of December for any of us? So what we're trying to do here is to stop and to ponder and to consider and to wait 
on the Lord. We've got to take a breath, church. We've got to reset ourselves. Finals coming up. I, I figure that's why there's so many college students here this morning. It's like, we don't have an altar that we are going to pray over your grades. You should have just studied. Sorry. Too mean? No, it's okay. God hears your prayers. He just doesn't care about that. So no, we're going to stop. I mean, I'm just kidding. Again, he does care. Kind of. Uh, we're going to stop, and, and we've got finals, we've got Christmas presents. we just got to stop and focus on the coming of our Savior and, and the ramifications, what that really means for us. So the best way we can do this, Scripture speaks for itself. It doesn't need an orator. It doesn't need a preacher. The Scripture speaks for itself. So let's flip in Luke 2 uh, to start off in verse 1. We're just going to read the story of Christ's coming, 1 through 21. We're just going to read it together. Can you guys see? We're working on lighting. Luke 2, starting in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration where Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to the firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. Verse 8, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Just stop real fast. Is anyone hearing uh, Charlie Brown as I'm reading this in your head? Okay. Verse 9, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those from whom he is pleased. Verse 15. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that had happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Verse 16. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby laying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that they had been told concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. Verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Verse 21, and at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, as us, and this is just going even back to Jake and Emily, we have just read the birth of our Savior. Okay, now, now let's just stop for a second because we've heard Charlie Brown do it, and you're thinking, yeah, 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 give me the points to get to, Pastor, so I can get out of here because I've got some Christmas shopping to do. But we have just heard 
the birth of our Savior. Save your, meaning there was something we had to be saved from. And for the best that Jesus had in the sinless life that he brought, we know how the story ends with Christ on the cross. So our Savior was born and murdered on our behalf so that we could be at right standing with God. So, so what I'm trying to do here, but, but listen, I love Christmas time. Ask me how many times my kids have seen Elf and ask me how many times my kids have seen The Christmas Story. When you see my daughter, just ask her to quote either of those movies. She can do it. Bumpuses! She does that line so good. Ask her to do it, it's awesome. I laugh every time. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to be that pastor. It's like, we need to forgo all that is American Christmas. No, celebrate. We just went to a Christmas parade. But the end of the Christmas parade was Santa. The end of our faith is Christ. And if we don't stop to reorient ourselves around this message, I'm afraid we're going to miss it. And then we're going to miss it. And then next year we're going to miss it. And next year we're going to miss it. We're never going to understand what this season is. So I love that the church, the early church, invented this Advent time for us to stop and to wait. So just let me ask maybe a question. Um, what is the natural response that we see? I mean, not even just from Luke 2, but in Jesus' birth, we see the shepherds coming in. We see the wise men. We see all this taking place. And the natural response is some level of worship. Now, when we talk about the word worship, man, like we, there is the definition of that word could be skewed all over the place of what worship really means. But look back for me at verse uh, 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. So they're telling, they're proclaiming, this could be worship. Verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering her, them in her heart. Is this worship? Verse 20, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard. Is this worship? Based on this text, what is worship? Is, is what we do here worship? So as we're talking about Christ coming, Christ being bored, the waiting is over, Christ is here how, how do we divine worship in the midst of all this? And, and this is where we're trying to go over the next couple of weeks. But, but here's where worship all centers around, because I would argue all three of those are worship. We cannot worship until we understand what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. Okay? So we cannot worship. Worship is centered around these three things, what God has done what God is doing, and what God will do. And when we forget one of these three parts, that's where worship starts to lack. When we forget one-third of the analogy, then we try to pick up that, and we begin worshiping ourselves. We think we can handle this. So right now, I mean, just a real-world example, I think that my responsibility is to keep my kids happy on my Christmas in my house. So I'm going to worship myself. I'm going to put stress on myself. I'm going to go into debt on myself. Why? Jesus came to save us from our sins. Now go buy presents and go into debt over it. 
So when we start to forget what God has done, what he is doing, and what he will do, then we start to skew this idea of what worship really is. So here's what I want to do. Just in the next five minutes, I told you I'm going to go short. I just want to spend just a few seconds making sure that we're all on the same page, what God has done, what he is doing, and what he will do in light of him coming, in light of the Christmas story, in light of Advent. So what has God done? You're standing on it. We're experiencing it. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything. He took a step back and said, man, this is good. This is right. Created Adam. Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. You need a helper created Eve. And so we see in the beginning uh, that everything was good. Everything was right in the garden and man ruined it. Don't blame the woman. Adam coward Adam blamed it on his wife that she was the one that messed it up when it was him sin entered the world instantly so all that God has done was ruined by one bite of a fruit but here's what we see God doesn't end there he could have he could have he could have wiped it all out we wouldn't have been here we would have never known about that it's over he is a good God it could have been done but here's what he did Genesis 3, he's explaining now that centers into the world what it's going to take place. And for the first time, because sin had just happened, we see God saying, hey, uh, everything has fallen, everything is no longer good, but I'm going to restore this thing, that the snake will bite your heel, but this man will crush its head, that there will come a day where sin, because of the snake, will be defeated, and it would hurt, and there's a process but it'll be defeated by one man. Church, just look at me. We're not that man. We have a tendency to take our own spiritualness and go, oh, David and Goliath, I'm David. I'm the one that's gonna fight. No, Christ is the better David. Christ is the better Moses. Christ is the better better Abraham. Christ is it. So Christ is gonna be the one that's gonna bruise, or his heel will be bruised, but the head of the snake will be crushed. So God's saying all of this will be restored through one man. So as we start flipping through the Old Testament, we keep hearing uh, there will be a date, there will be a date. The Savior is coming. Messiah is coming. So you think about all these early Jews who were just waiting. They were sitting around waiting for this Messiah to show up. And God keeps instituting um, different rules and regulations and how things should go until the perfect one comes, which is Christ. That was what God has done. And then we get to hear in this story, what is God doing? He has finally sent the Messiah. Galatians say, when the fullness of time had come, when it was the perfect time in history, Christ came. So through Christ, over 350 prophecies were fulfilled. So all that was going on in the Old Testament, all that God has been doing was being fulfilled through this one man, which is Christ. He has come. The waiting is now over for these men, for these women, for the Jewish, uh, Jewish religion in this day. The, the waiting's done. Messiah is there. Flip with me just, well, you might not even have to flip, just a little bit below uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 30, Luke 2, 37. Just a real quick snippet about Anna. I, I just love this story. She was a, a prophetess. 
Luke 2, 37. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up from that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting, underline that word, waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So here's that lady that knew uh, what God had prophesied, that knew that the Savior was coming, the Messiah was coming. And so she went to the temple and she prayed and she fasted and she waited. We, church, don't wait for anything. So God has sent us Christ and we think that there's something better for us. So what has God done? He promised that he was going to send a Savior, promised that he was going to send a Messiah. What God is doing, he did it. Christ was born. And in this moment in in Luke 2, we fast forward um, to the end of John where he says, Jesus says, I'm going to leave here and I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come back and get you. So if you follow after me, this is just temporary for you. This doesn't really matter. I'm going to come back. Once the place is prepared, I'm going to come get you. You're going to be with me for eternity, for forever. But, but I've got to die. I've got to go to the cross. I mean, so even now, as we're starting to teach through Luke, I say starting, we've been teaching through Luke for like two years. But as we're going through Luke, Jesus is just starting to walk in to Jerusalem where he's leading to his death and his disciples are going, no, 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 why do you have to die? This makes no sense to us. He goes, listen, I've got to die so that you can enter into eternity. I've got, because of the sins of Adam, I've got to cover you with my own sin. That's how much I love you. So from the beginning to the end, what what God has done, what is he doing, what will he do? He's redeeming his people. He's bringing his people back. So it might look like small church plant in Dahlonega. It might look like Toby and Leah a couple weeks ago who just came back from Central Asia. It might look like Jake and Emily that have just come back and are going to India. It might be our friends over in Ghana. It might be our friends planting a church up in Portland, Maine. Who cares what it looks like? The narrative of the scripture is God is redeeming the people for himself. And church, if you're a believer, you are that people. And we can't just stop and go, okay, cool. Where's the eggnog? We can't come into this Advent season and go, okay, that, that's great. Yeah, Christ came, Christ died, Christ is coming. Cool. We, we can't remain neutral. And here's what that produces is a lack of worship. When we understand what Christ has done, what he is doing, and what he will do, the automatic, obvious, guttural effect, effect will be worship. We understand how small we are in light of how big he is. That is why we worship. And please hear me. I'm not saying worship in this room. I'm saying worship with our lives. It's something we think about, we ponder on. That we're in this. Yes, Christ has come for the first time. He's coming again. So just like all in scripture, we're still waiting. We're longing for the return of Christ. So all of our lack of worship, all of our worshiping ourselves always comes back to three things. Has we forgotten what he's done? Have we forgotten what he's doing? Forgot, have we forgotten what he will do? We start focusing on ourselves and less on Christ. Listen, this is where it just gets a little weird because people just wanna make Christianity out to be like, oh, it's just this personal thing. 
just this inside thing, like, you can't judge me, you don't know what's going on in my heart. Uh, yeah, but I saw you run around the neighborhood almost streaking because Georgia won the SEC championship, right? I see what you worry about. I see what you get excited about. I know what you worship. If you follow me for a while, you know what gets me excited. Therefore, you know what I worship. Church, we worship something. We all do. So for us to say, man, my worship is just internal because it's maybe. But at some level, when we understand what God has done, what he's doing and what he will do, it's going to bring out in us a joy that surpasses all understanding. It's going to bring out a peace that makes no sense. It's going to be something that we can't stop talking about, that we can't stop singing about. What Christ has done for us. That is what true worship looks like. That is what true worship looks like. So it just begs me to ask a question for all of us, because I don't want to assume anything of anybody. Do we know what Christ has done? Do we know who Christ is and what he's accomplished on the cross for us? Do, do we know it? I understand, trust me, I understand this thing can be complicated. But do we know who Christ is and what he's done for us in this Advent season? Now here's where, I mean, I just, I've grown up in church, I understand the lingo, I understand the culture. We can all say that we know, but belief always determines our knowledge. Belief always determines our knowledge. If we're not in the right mindset, then it's always going to affect belief. I had a friend uh, one time, his car set on fire. Uh, they were working in a mechanic shop and, and car set on fire. Uh, there might have been some other forged substances involved in the story, but I'm not going to bring that up because I don't know. Uh, I'm just assuming here. His car was behind him in the shop. The shop steps on fire. His friend's trying to convince him, hey, man, your car's on fire. No, my car's not on fire. Hey, man, your car's on fire. He looks. My car's on fire. Now, with that knowledge, what, what comes next? A belief now that he has seen. But here's what we do. We say, I believe. But believe, how do we tell? How do we really honor if we believe by what we feel, by what takes place. When we believe something, we feel it in our bones, man. I love my wife, I feel it. I love my kids and I feel it. I love this church and I feel it. So I don't want you just to know that I love you guys. Do you feel it, do you experience it? There's not much that keeps me up at night. You guys do. Because I feel it. And feeling always leads to action. So when we look and we gauge the way that we live and the way that we worship, if we don't know, then we're never going to worship. But if we know, then we should believe, that we should feel that in the deep deepest part of our soul, we should understand that I was once not a son or daughter of God. That my sin had separated me from him. But God, in his love, sent Christ as a baby in a manger who would ra be raised up, live a sinless, perfect life, and went to the cross for me. Despising the shame, sitting there, 
on the chopping blocks, knowing that he could have stopped this at any time. And he didn't. Because in that moment, he was purchasing us for his father. He was making things right. He was offering his blood as a sacrifice for us. So we can know that. We can read this. But until it awakens our soul, until we believe it, until it does something in us that we can't stop thinking about, that we can't stop talking about it, that's what it looks like to worship. So my question for us is, church, do we know it? Do we just have a general idea of this Christmas story? Do we know it? But some of us might not know it. I mean, we, when we stop and pray, India, they don't know it. They don't know that the Messiah has came. But the second part is for us, if we, if we know it, do we believe it? Do you believe? Do you believe that Christ has came and rescued you? Here's where I'll end with this. Here's where I think the majority of us are. I think the majority of us are this kind of semi-Pelagian idea. Don't worry about that. I shouldn't have used that. I'm just trying to sound smart. Uh, Where we are is we're trying to, yes, God has saved me, but I have to keep up my own salvation. So it makes the sacrifice of Christ not as sweet because, yes, God has saved me, but I must sustain myself. I must go to church. I must read the Bible. I must do this and this and this and this and this for God to love me. So of course at that point, Christianity is going to get really boring because it just turns into a bunch of of rules and regulations and a list of do's and don'ts. Do we know the real gospel? And do we believe it? Has it changed us? And here's how we always know it's going to lead us back to worship. So here's what I want to do. I just want to pray over us. Um, as we end almost every gathering, we've got communion set up at the front. Here's what I want us to ask ourselves this morning. As we think about Advent, that, that Christ is coming for us. Why don't we believe it? Why don't we believe when we read that he is a savior, that he has saved us from all sins? Why don't we believe that he has made us a new creation? Why, what are, what are we struggling with? What are we holding on to? As Paul would say, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Where's that unbelief holding us back? So I'm gonna pray. And when I say amen, uh, the communion will be open for us as believers. If you're not yet a believer, man, I'd love to talk to you about what you know and what you understand from the scriptures. Any of our missional community leaders, elders, pastors, anybody would love to talk to you about it. But we would ask for this moment, communion is just for us as believers if we celebrate what Christ has done for us. But for all of us, if we know, why don't we believe? What's holding us back? Because that is where true worship begins. So let's pray. Father, we love you. Jesus, but understanding how much you love us is a constant struggle. And understanding that you came, that the season that we're in to celebrate, this Advent season, is that you came for us. You came to rescue us. 
You came to redeem us, that all that you prophesied and talked and pointed to in the Old Testament wasn't just for show, but you, you made all of your promises right in the birth of Jesus Christ. But Father, I feel it in me. I'm too easily swayed to the left and to the right, especially in this Christmas season. And the last thing on my radar is you coming for us. Now, there's no other reason for you to send Christ to live on this planet but to die. And so, Father, all the whole we know, help us to believe. Help us to feel the fact that we are so loved by you. That you didn't send your son to die on the cross just for us to go back to the way we used to live. Father, we were not made new creations because of what your son did just to, for us to follow a bunch of rules. But you have came, you have sent Christ because you desire a, rel- a relationship with us more than anything else. And God, although we know that, how many of us believe that? How many of us are, are willing to say, because of we, how much you do love us, everything is yours? All of our fears, all of our doubts, all of our life, all of our anxieties, everything is yours, Christ, because you gave everything for me. That is the beauty of the gospel. That is the good news of the gospel, that we don't have to worry, we don't have to fret, we don't have to fear anymore. You have done everything on our behalf. And it all started with a baby in a manger. And it wasn't anything special. It wasn't anything of royalty. It was a baby in a manger because there was no room anywhere else. So for those of us in this room that feel like God can't use us because we're just ordinary people, he used a baby in a manger to turn the world upside down. That is not what he says about you. He says you are beautiful, you are loved, you're a new creation in me. So what fears, worries, or doubts are holding you back from believing Jesus this morning? Where do we know but not yet believe? Is it that you are loved? Is it that you can be redeemed? Maybe you're in here thinking, you don't know what I've done, Pastor. There's no way God can redeem me. If he can redeem Paul, he can redeem you. If he can redeem me, he can redeem you. That is not who God is. He is not limited by man. So, are we living a life of worship? And if we're not, what do we not know 
or what do we not believe? And let us focus on that this morning as we take communion. So we will continue to sing. We'll continue to press in, to ask questions. We believe, Jesus, help us with our unbelief. This morning, would you penetrate our hearts? Would you show us exactly where we are failing to believe? God, I, I would be remiss to not end this prayer with so much thankfulness. The story that we just read, that you sent a Savior for us. It's scarce to take it in, that truth. So I'm going to leave us here in this spirit of uh, prayer. Communion is open whenever we're ready. If you need to sit and process, if you need to stand and sing, whatever you need to do, man, let's just do it.